If you have a copy of the scriptures, let's look together this morning at Mark chapter 10. We're going to finish up this chapter together today, Lord willing, unless Jesus comes back in the middle, and that will be far better. But should he not, hopefully by his strength, we'll get through the last part of this chapter. So Mark 10 this morning, I'll read verse 46 through 52. Excuse me. Let's give our attention to God's Word, and let's do it with expectation. Maybe you came here dry or cold or frustrated at God or not knowing. Let's just remember, this is God's Word. We can bank the entirety of our lives on what I'm about to read. So no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you're thinking about, Let's receive this from him. And when they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we gather here as your children. We need to hear from you. Please, don't leave us to our own devices. Don't leave us to the way in which we normally process our lives and the world and everything else. Don't leave us to ourselves. Cause us to bring you into every moment of our lives. Lord, do this for our good. Do it for your glory. Do it so that we might feel refreshed and challenged and renewed and full of hope again. God, compel us to have hope afresh today because we've heard from, seen our need for, And know our Savior. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. I have found in my life that parenting has given me many opportunities to grow as a human being. My children, as many of you know, are are past the time in which I have to watch them every moment of the day. 
My children are past the time in which I have to be concerned about stairs, whether they're going up or whether they might fall down. And yet, even though I'm past that stage, there are times when the Osborne house gets a little bit rowdy. Brother doesn't always agree with his sisters, and sisters don't always agree with their brother. And sometimes things not only get a little bit rowdy, but sometimes an intervention needs to happen. And because of my position in the home, I am one of those that's responsible to be the intervention. And I've found in being a parent, which I love and am terrified of at the same time, I've found that oftentimes in dealing with my children, that there's a particular question that is appropriate for most of the squabbles and rowdiness that happen in our house. And that question is this. I'll call my children or I'll go to them, one of the two happens, and I'll say, Owen, Dabney, Bergen, are you fussing about something that's really important? Are you, are you fussing about something that's really important? Now, you know the immediate response. I didn't do anything, Dad. It wasn't me. Well, Owen started too. And then we always have our sweet Dabney, who at times responds, but the majority of the time just stands there, hip to the side, looking at me with a slanted head, as if to say, Dad, you're so right. And I'm not budging. I'm not budging. I love you, Dad, but I'm not budging. But yet I continue to ask the question, are you fussing about something that's really important? And usually after I ask that question about six or eight times, sometimes more, they typically will begin to talk to one another and realize that what they're fussing about really isn't that important at all. You see, it's the power of a question. It's the power of a question that really is important, isn't it? And as we look at this text this morning, there's one question for us. There's one question for you. There's one question for me. And it's the question in verse 51. Jesus is asking it. And he's asking that into your life and into my life right now. And his question is this. What do you want me to do for you? It's a standing question. As you come here this morning, whether you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or whether you don't, whether you're struggling with things in your life or whether you are ecstatic at where you are in your life. The question is on our plate. It's front and center. What do you want Jesus to do for you? You see, up to this point in Mark's gospel, he's had two other questions. And at some time toward the end of Mark's gospel, I'm going to summarize all this for you. But Mark's question has been, who do people say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Who do people say that he is? Who do you say that he is? 
Those are questions that we can never stop receiving and answering. But you see, now comes the next logical question. If you've thought about who Jesus is or who do people say that he is, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your own heart, your spouse, your children, if, you've, if you're working through that answer, who is Jesus, who do people say that he is, the next question is, what do you want him to do for you? Really? Because that's the question Christ has for us now, today. He wants us to add this question to the other two questions. And it's not going away. This question is the apex of this section of verses. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the text and get to the point. We're going to show what leads up to this question. And then, like faithful submariners, we're just going to dive deep. And we're just going to go straight down and looking at the depth of this question. So what leads up to this question? Well, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jericho. It's an ancient city. Some would say that it's thousands of years, maybe as many as 9,000 years old. Jericho is that place where Herod the Great, you might remember this guy if you know your Bibles a little bit more. If you don't, it's totally fine. Herod the Great was the guy that was around when Jesus was born. Herod the Great was the guy that made the decree that all children under two, all male children under two, should be executed. Herod loved Jericho. He built three palaces there, and he built this thing called a hippodrome, which is this place that's kind of like what we would find in our country for horse races. About 700, 800 feet long, several hundred feet wide, and there was just a track where horses would run and they would race. It was a booming city because Herod loved it, an ancient city. As a matter of fact, where we find ourselves with Jesus and his disciples here in Jericho is that they're 18 miles from Jerusalem. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Chapter 11 tells you that Jesus enters Jerusalem. It's 10 days, less than 10 days from Jesus being on the cross. Jesus is with his disciples in Jericho. As they begin to leave Jericho, something happens. A great crowd is following him. They're heading out on their journey. Perhaps many of them will go with him all the way to Jericho. And as he heads out on his journey, there's a man sitting on the side of the road. Now, it's probably true that Mark mentions the term sitting because this guy was probably put out of the city. He probably wasn't allowed in the city very often at all. So someone had put him out of the city, more than likely, and he was just there, sitting. His name was Bartimaeus. Apparently it was very common. Everyone knew this story. Everybody knew about Bartimaeus because it even mentions the name of his father. Bartimaeus is there on the side of the road, and Bartimaeus is blind, and did you notice what else it said about him? He's a beggar. So let's just get down real quick in terms of what Bartimaeus' life looked like. Black. Bartimaeus never saw the smile of his mother. Bartimaeus never saw the sun rise or the sun set. He never saw the beauty of either of those. Everything for Bartimaeus was dark. He never saw anything. 
And not only that, but the text adds that he wasn't just blind. It's not just that he never saw the smile of his mother. It's that he was also a beggar. You see, there's some people that we know that are blind that actually have lots of resources. Those of you that like classical music, those of you know or heard of or listened to, Andrea Bocelli, man's blind, but he has lots of resources. Bartimaeus, God wants us to make sure we get it. He was blind and he was with, and he had nothing. He was a beggar. He was completely dependent on people to be nice to him. He was completely dependent on people's mercy. He had no food. He had nowhere to live. He couldn't even travel from one place to another. He couldn't see. Well, Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming along the road. And as Jesus began to pass by, Bartimaeus began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you remember that in the story? He actually says it twice. Now, it's really important that we stop here and think about this for a moment because when, when Bartimaeus cries out and calls Jesus, Jesus, and he adds to that, son of David, he's telling us something profound. That hasn't happened yet in Mark's gospel. When Bartimaeus cries out, son of David, what he is doing is he is saying that Jesus, from a Jewish perspective, is the Messiah. Now, we've covered this a few weeks ago, but I'm prone to forget, and perhaps you are too. You see, to claim that someone is Messiah is a world-changing, life-altering moment. To say that Jesus is the Messiah, to say that Jesus is the son of David, is to alter completely how we think about the idea, the concept of relationship. You see, the Messiah alters our view of relationship between us and God, between each other, man to man, woman to woman, person to person, and the world. If Jesus is the Messiah, what that means is that he has come from God. It means that he is God in the flesh. It means that he is on a mission from Almighty God. And it means that he stands in special relationship to us. It's not just that he's the son of God. It's not just that he's deity. It's not just that God sent him into the world. It's that he took on human flesh and that he can identify with you and with me. That he knows what it's like to live in a sinful world. That he literally came to identify with sinners. He came to identify with those that are broken and hurting. He came to identify with those who are full of shame and guilt. And if Jesus changed and altered our view of the relationship between us and God, it also affects how we view each other. Because if he came to this world to identify with us, then that means we must relate to one another. And it means that he changed the relationship with the world. You've heard us talk about many times that statement in the book of Revelation that Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. Remember that? Right here, Jesus as Messiah is what births that idea 
that he's making all things new. Jesus is making all things new because he is the Messiah. Because he's come from God, because he has come to reconcile us to God and to each other. And he's putting the world back the way that it should be. This is a radical statement. And it also means that our view of destiny has become incredibly clear. If Jesus is the Messiah, that means that the end is clear. It means that our hope is sure. It means that we can have confidence in the future. It means that everything about our lives is supposed to change. You see, what he adds here with this little statement, all that I've said to you before, except Revelation 21 connection. What I will add here is that when Bartimaeus cried out, Son of David, and connecting that with our destiny, it's that Jesus is the king. This idea of the son of David connects Jesus to David, the greatest king that God's people had ever had. And if you know your Bibles a little bit more, sometime go back and read the second Samuel chapter 7. What you'll find there is that God makes this incredible promise to David. And he basically goes like this. David, you're going to die. Your days are drawing small. And not too long from now, you're going to die. But someone is going to come from you. And I am going to establish his kingdom. And his kingdom will last forever. God says it four times to David in chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. Four times. I'm going to bring someone from your line, David, and he's going to be king, and I'm going to establish his kingdom forever. You see, the whole idea of our destiny becoming a whole lot more clear is connected to the coming of Jesus. And Jesus is connected to the fact that he is related to the son of David. He is king And he has come to establish a kingdom that by faith we are part of, by grace we are brought into. But you see, our king, our king is a servant king. He has come to give of his life. He has come to establish his kingdom, not with military force, not with political power. He has come to establish his kingdom with truth and with love and with the power of grace. So Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, which is another awesome statement, isn't it? Messiah, have mercy on me. You can even paraphrase it like this. Hold on, let me find it. I lost it in my notes. Have a heart for me. Jesus, son of David, have a heart for me. Well, all the crowds could do was rebuke him. Be quiet, Bartimaeus. Stop. You're a distraction. You're interrupting. Maybe they were selfish. Maybe they wanted their time with Jesus. 
Maybe they were just full of pride. Maybe they thought that this guy isn't worth anything. He isn't good enough. Well, that made Bartimaeus cry out all the more. In verse 48, he cries out a second time. And at that point, Jesus stops. And he turns and he looks at him and he says, come to me, call him, call him, bring him to me. So what did Barnabas do? Well, it says that he took off his cloak and he went rushing to Jesus. You see, his cloak, we might put this in modern day terms, his cloak was like a Snuggie. You know what that is? You remember that? You remember what a Snuggie is? Some of you probably have some. It's that really big thing that's like full body. That's what you can think of. Because, see, he couldn't see if someone put bread down in front of him. He couldn't, he couldn't reach out to his hand to know if somebody was giving him money. So he just had this gigantic scarf like a Snuggie. And if someone put food on it or someone put money in it, he would have it there and it would be hell. He just threw that off and came to Christ. Jesus looked at him and he said this question. You remember the question? Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Perhaps an interesting question. Bartimaeus says, let me recover my sight. I want to see. Jesus heals him without touching. Jesus heals him without making any move. Immediately Bartimaeus could see. And what that means is the first person that he ever saw was Jesus. Immediately he was healed and Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. You see, that is everything that led up to this question. What do you want me to do for you? But there's far more in this question than just all that background story. There's more for us. You see, we're prone to think that this passage is really about our faith. We're prone to read this passage and say, go your way, your faith has made you well, and to think immediately about our power. And there's far more here that we need to think about in order to understand this question, in order to understand faith. Jesus is actually using this question to get right at our hearts. He's using this question this morning, he's putting it on your plate, on my plate, so that he might dig down and get at our hearts. Because Jesus uses this question and uses this passage to show us, to show us how we think of Jesus either as really, really useful, or that Jesus is really everything. Because there are only two answers to the question. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And what that gets at is, how does your heart function? Because it only goes one of two ways. It either goes to answer that question, it either answers that question out of, Jesus, you're really, really useful to me, or... Jesus, you're everything. You see, this isn't the first time that Jesus has asked us this question. If you look back earlier in chapter 10, he's talking with his disciples. 
And he asked them, in verse 36, the exact same question to his disciples. He asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And you know what their answer was? Their answer was, Jesus, please put one of us on your right hand and put the other of us on your left. Jesus, we want power and we want position. And Jesus, you're the one that can make that happen. You're the one we need to give us power and you're the one we need to give us position. We need you. You are useful to us, Jesus, because you can make all of our dreams, all of our wants come true. Jesus, you're the one that can give us power and position. You're the one that can fulfill our dreams. Jesus rebukes them in chapter 10, verse 32 and following, in that whole section. He challenges that. He says, well, actually, if you want to know what true greatness is, it has nothing to do with position and it has nothing to do with power. True greatness is found in serving. The message of Christianity is, if you want to be great, then serve. If you want to be great, then stop trying to find greatness in power and in position and stop trying to think of Jesus as just useful. That he just exists to fulfill your dreams. That he just exists to fill my dreams. If you want to be great, than serve. Jesus adds these memorable words in verse 45 of chapter 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the disciples on one hand wanted to use Jesus, and Bartimaeus on the other said, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of David. You are the Servant King. Have a heart for me. Have a heart for me in my condition. Have a heart for me where I am in, with life. Make me whole. Because I want to follow you. You see, the disciples had a blind spot, much like us. We have a blind spot too, don't we? Do you really think you've ever lived a whole day in which, I don't know, you really thought Jesus was everything? All the time, because of our sin, we want to find Jesus as just useful, just to do what we want. You see, the disciples had a blind spot just like we do. And here are the blind spots. We don't really think we're that blind. We don't want to find ourselves as beggars. We're not quite sure that we need to live by mercy all the time. We're not quite sure that we need to be recipients of mercy all the time. But we almost always want to just go our own way. We don't always want to follow Jesus in his way, in his plan for our life. We want our way and our plan for our life. And we want Jesus to make our way happen. You see, when you understand that when we're supposed to see Jesus as absolutely everything, 
It makes faith make sense. Faith isn't a work at all. Bartimaeus said this to Jesus, remember? Jesus, please have mercy on me. You are the Messiah. Here's some words from someone who lived a long time ago that said it better than I can. Faith brings nothing to Christ but a sinful soul. Faith gives nothing, contributes nothing, pays nothing, performs nothing. Faith only receives, takes, accepts, grasps, and embraces the gift. And daily enjoys the gift. You see, the best news of the whole story for us is that we must follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But the truth is, we can't really go where he was going. Isn't it interesting that Jesus tells Bartimaeus, go your way, Bartimaeus. Did you listen to that? Did you hear that? It's right there in the text. And what way does Bartimaeus go? On the way, Jesus' way. But you see, Bartimaeus couldn't go ultimately where Jesus was going. Because Jesus was on the way, his way, to Jerusalem and to the cross. Jesus was going to the cross so that he would give his life as a ransom. Jesus was on the way to the cross to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. So that by his grace we might recognize how blind we are. So that by his grace we might recognize that we are just beggars. So that by his grace we might recognize that we need to live and receive his mercy every single day. And then give that to others. Jesus died so that we would stop trying to go our own way and just think that he is useful so that we might follow him and his way and what he says. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this question. What do you want me to do for you? For it puts the entirety of our lives in context. Lord Jesus, you know the challenges that we have in our lives. You know the struggles that we have. You know the joys that we have. And you know what it's like to live a life full of challenges and struggles. And Jesus, it is true Oftentimes, we want you just to fix our little problem, give us a good day, make us happy. And the truth is, we just express over and over and over again how we just think you're useful. And Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I do the same thing in my life. Would you please remind all of us 
that we need your mercy and your grace to show us how little we still see, how dependent we are, because we are beggars. As parents, we are beggars. As friends, we are beggars. As employees and employers, we are beggars. As stay-at-home parents, we are beggars. We have nothing except for what you have given us. Lord Jesus, please cause us to follow you and to wage war with our pride, with our temptation that we often give into to just use you. Help us to see you as our Messiah, as our King that has altered the entirety of our lives, every relationship that we have, and our destiny. Help us to follow your way and to realize that your way is the way to true greatness. Sever, sever the connection in our mind that greatness is connected to power and position. And make a brand new connection in our minds and with our hearts. And we need to follow you and serve and cry out for mercy. Help us, King. Help us, Savior. Help us, Lord. We need it. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.